Hi, and welcome to Seen and Heard. My name is Allison Tristo, and I'm the Community Field Representative at Western United Dairies. Today is going to look a little different on the podcast. We have Aubrey Benincourt, the CEO of Almond Alliance, and Anya Radabaugh, the CEO of Western United Dairies, coming to take over today to talk about Landflex. So I'm going to hand it over to them. Tired of hearing that the main way to save water is fallowing? Are you tired of seeing articles about how alfalfa and corn waste water? At Common Good Water, we combine the best in class subsurface drip system and precision crop management services, including pest control. Our verification program qualifies for public funding, and we want to help you continue farming in California. Contact your groundwater sustainability agency and ask how you can work with Common Good Water. Visit commongoodwater.com. Hi folks, hope you had a great week. It was a little bit more turbulent in our dairy markets this week, particularly over on the cheese side. We lost uh, 11 and three quarter cents on blocks down to 197.75 and lost 21 cents on cheddar barrels down to 174 with a lot of that done at right at week's end. Um, looking forward next week, we'll start pricing in January uh, class three. So all eyes will be on these cheese spot cheese levels. Right now, January futures are at a premium to the spot levels. So something's going to have to give either spot back up, futures down, or some combination of the two. Over in the class four complex, it was a little mixed. We gained back four and a quarter on butter. So still pretty high, 285.50. Futures are still expecting a rather large drop here, though, uh, by end of year in butter. So all eyes are on that. Over on nonfat, we did slip back another penny and a half to $1.35. Next week, we'll be pretty busy with reports. We'll, we'll start off Monday with a milk production report for November. Most expectations point to about a 1% give or take increase year over year. That's about what we've been running the last couple of years. And we are continuing to watch closely European milk production. The latest data shows Germany uh, up about 3% year over year. Um, those are against weak numbers last year, um, but up is up. And output out of France is a little variable. We're also watching New Zealand. Um, it's off to its weakest start of the season since 2016, but contacts are so, uh, citing that pasture conditions are improving a little bit there. We will also get a cold storage report on Thursday and uh, be looking into 2023 very soon. Uh, if you're looking at managing your milk price risk, we did close out Q1 for the Dairy Revenue Protection Program. Uh, so it would be looking at Q2 and beyond. And just a friendly reminder, they did extend the deadline for the DMC program uh, out until the end of January. So you have a little time to keep an eye on there. Please reach out with any questions. Pacific Gas and Electric is here to remind you that signs keep you safe. Sections of our natural gas transmission pipeline travel underground and beneath agricultural land. For the safety of you, your family, and your employees, 
Pipeline markers are placed to indicate the approximate location of the pipe as a reminder to use extra care. Removing a pipeline marker creates a serious safety hazard. To have additional markers placed or report damaged or missing markers, please call your PG&E account manager or our Agricultural Customer Service Center at 877-311-3276. To learn more, visit www.pge.com slash agsafety. Remember, signs keep you safe. This is Aubrey Bettencourt, President and CEO of the Almond Alliance, and welcome to Almond Alert. Anya, I think this is your show, too. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Uh, this is Anya Radaba. I'm the CEO of Western United Dairies, and welcome to Seen and Heard, information for the modern dairy family. Look at that. This is, this is just a melding of the minds and a joining of forces, and that's really what we're here to talk about today. Uh, for, I think, uh, the first time ever, you and I are publicly allowed to discuss something we've been privately working on for so long, and that is DWR's recently announced LandFlex program. Uh, for those of you who have seen the press releases, DWR is reaching into the groundwater world and into the drought relief world in a new and innovative way with a program called LandFlex working with farmers voluntarily to provide immediate drought response and, and uh, mitigation for domestic and rural wells, while simultaneously creating an inventive new tool to allow for Sigma compliance and what a post-2040 Sigma world looks like in our critically overdrafted basins and beyond. Um, a lot of folks have heard us talk about this in different milieus. Uh, it's, been, it's been rumored, it's been talked about, I think behind closed doors for almost a year now, uh, but we're really here to talk about what the program is. Uh, Western United and Almond Alliance, along with Self-Help Enterprises and CAF, have been listed as the four technical support providers. Uh, but really, the backstory of that is a lot of history between these two organizations leaning in in the middle of a drought with our incredible water managers at the state level to say we need to come up with a, a new tool in the toolkit to help folks on the ground be part of the solution and start pro providing real water, wet water, into our aquifers and into our system, this idea of conjunctive use, which I'm the geek on the water side, so you're gonna hear me use geeky water words, but, uh, but really we're here to talk about kind of the history of that, what the program is and what the timeline looks like going forward as we enter this public comment period through December 29th. So Anya, thank you so much. And I guess, thank you for having me and vice versa. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for agreeing to leave Washington D.C. back for your hometown of California. Um, we, yeah, we've we've been kind of soft launching this for a couple months now. It's been a stop and go process as we've responded to stakeholder concerns, stakeholder engagement. I mean, to be truthful, I think a lot of people didn't think that this was actually going to go, so they weren't very engaging, and that's okay. You know, we're all suspicious old buffaloes in the water world, and um, I think coming in with this new integrative approach. Uh, was it's definitely something different. And looking at this project from start to finish, uh, Aubrey, you and I, um, we established several guardrails that we knew we needed to hit right out the door. Um, and that throughout the negotiations, those guardrails were routinely tested, flexed, bent. Um, but I think that the political process will teach all of us that we need to stick to our principles even when things are tough, but we do have to be flexible so that we bring as many stakeholders 
to the table as we can. And everybody got a present under the Christmas tree this go around. Um, and we're looking to make a bigger Christmas tree next time. But I think it's important to kind of remind everybody that when we leave water in the ground, when we have and ask farmers to voluntarily fallow, that what we're doing is creating more certainty for domestic drinking well water supplies throughout that system. And that was the first guardrail that we knew we needed to hit with Landflex, which was whatever we did, we had to tie it to the public policy nexus of providing certainty around domestic drinking water well supplies. Um, farmers have in the Central Valley have come under a lot of criticism, rightfully so, of perhaps overdrafting. There are many um, technical reasons why they've had to do that. But um, generally speaking, the system as it stands today is unsustainable. And so then the second guardrail we knew we needed to hit was that people needed to be appropriately compensated for the groundwater that they were, that were, they were giving up. Uh, this was by far the biggest fight throughout the negotiations, but we feel the um, end result was something that really guaranteed certainty to both the farmer and the state that they were entering into an arrangement that compensated them for their, um, for their crops, for their land value, and essentially helping them make payroll, which is really the other guardrail we wanted to hit, which how do we keep our farmers going through Sigma, going through this evolution of reducing their dependency on groundwater solvent? How do we keep them farming? Because Aubrey and I cease to exist if we put our guys out of business. And so there was really a mindset there that we wanted to mitigate for the impact that the drought is having on these domestic communities, but also balance that landing for the farmers. And I think the third piece that we successfully brought together using DWR's kind of guardrail, which was they wanted uh, faster Sigma compliance. Whatever they needed to do um, as they looked at Landflex throughout the summer of 2022, they knew they needed to land on a Sigma, Sigma compliance mechanism. And so in order to do that, we really had to roll up our sleeves, work with our wonderful farmers and our partners at the table, um, specifically the GSAs that have had existing groundwater allocations um, in place and see what we could do to make Sigma go faster because the criticism, and, and again, we've, we're now in the third year of a really bad drought cycle of Sigma is that it's been too slow to implement and, and full implementation is not scheduled till 2040 with a lot of our guys transitioning down on a glide path of using groundwater overdraft. And so we wanted to see what would motivate people faster to eliminate that glide path. And so again, coming up with appropriate compensation to wipe those credits off the books was really important. So I think maybe Aubrey, you and I can break down the deal and yeah. then we can talk about what it's gonna look like the next month, month and a half. Yeah, I think, um... I think you touched on those key components so well, and I don't want to minimize the level of literal uh, hands-on tactile policy making that was taking place here. What is so incredible about what this program is and does is there is this misnomer that following equals water. And that's not always the case. We can follow any good farmer out there knows I can follow a thousand acres and have minimal water savings, but I can follow acres in the right place at the right time and maximize the water savings. And so what is so, I think, important about Landflex from, from a policy perspective is, I, I think you said it so brilliantly in one meeting we had, which is unlike any other program, drought response program geared towards ag, 
this actually is about the water. It's, and it measures and pays based on the unit of water. And I think that's a really great transition because that's so important to the way we think about water management going forward and how we keep our farmers whole. The whole idea behind even the name Landflex is the idea that we may have to follow a, a million acres post 2040 in the Sigma world, but we needed a tool that said it didn't have to necessarily be permanent to get us the water savings that we needed if we looked at it in terms of water instead of acreage. And that's really where Landflex is going, is challenging us as water managers, both at the GSA level and as a farmer and as the state to say, let's relook at this in a way that gets us to our savings faster, sooner, better, starts proving we can support the aquifer and supporting the idea of conjunctive use management, which is that surface to groundwater nexus. So let's dive into the details of how- I wanted to touch on like what this, what, what the focus on saving water really meant though. Right. If you think about existing programs that DWR and Department of Conservation have rolled out, they focus way too much on the number of acres being followed, which absolutely does not translate into numbers of acre feet of water mm -hmm. quantity saved. And so we identified to DWR that that was a serious flaw in their thinking, and it was not easy. No. Every, there, there has been, if you think about the historic um, nature of following projects, specifically down in Palo Verde Irrigation District along right. the Colorado River, and even up here in the Delta in California, they've only ever been paid per acre, and they've never been able to quantify how much water they saved in doing that. They always estimated, and they said, well, we think we're saving about, you know, 213,000 acre feet, but when you ask them to prove that, they couldn't. And again, I'm, out of respect, I'm not trying to criticize anyone. And the Multi-Benefit Habitat Repurposing Program is an excellent example of a tool in the Sigma basket that allows GSAs and water managers to set aside land to potentially sink additional water. But it does not provide any immediate relief to the aquifer. And it also cannot, with any good faith, quantify what they could save if they were measuring it on acre foot. Nope, and so I think that I, I wanted to dwell on that. This was really the reason why it took Landflex so long to be born is because the negotiation hardliners, Aubrey and I, would not compromise on that principle. And so I think that I think we did well. Yep. And I think that Landflex hopefully will be a model to turn up or dial down um, yep. the certain areas that we're about to cover because saving the water is really how we demonstrate to the taxpayer that their yep. money was well spent. Well, and it it's ultimately all of this is about the water. And I think too, you you, you said it, you know, the, the Sigma toolkit, so many of the Valley GSPs were getting kicked back because what? They didn't address groundwater demand reduction. Right. And the GSPs we talked to all said, I don't have a tool to do this. I, I don't have a practical tool. And we totally empathize with you being on your GSA board and saying, I have to regulate my neighbor. That's not an easy position no. to put someone in. And, and I think while we love local control, that was one of the challenges. And so we were really hoping to, to find a tool that we could put in the toolkit for the GSAs that could be accurate and appropriate in a market setting to allow our farmers to transition and transition well uh, and start thinking in a different time cycle around how they crop plan, how they manage, how they're managing that bank of water in their account, 
and and to your point, you mentioned the program in the Delta. You mentioned the program in Palo Verde. We talked to all those guys through all this process. I mean, we really did. I I don't want to underestimate you know under underestimate how much due diligence we did and the amazing network of people we have talked to, and how this really sets an interesting platform for us to build on. Uh, and what I love about it is it's ag and farmers getting to lean in and voluntarily solve a problem where we've been vilified in a lot of ways. So I think it's a really actually a great tool for us to lean in and own Sigma and do what we do best, which is solve problems and, and, and uh, continue to do what we do. So let's get into it. What is Landflex? How does it break down? It has three major pillars um, and each of them does something very specific as far as setting the public policy objective and meeting it. The first one is immediate drought relief. And that is the farmer being paid per acre foot of water that he saves when he fallows. So the grower or farmer in this case, if he fallows an acre foot or excuse me, an acre of almonds, on average, those use around five acre feet per acre. Uh He used to be paid. Oh, no, they don't. 3.5 acre feet. Oh, sorry. Excuse me. (laughs) Now, now, hold on. I'm 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 all Well, let me, let me use my example then. A dairy farmer who's double cropping corn and wheat will use approximately five acre feet per acre. And the Landflex program incentivizes him to follow that, saving that five acre feet per acre that he would be drawing out of the aquifer. The farmer will be paid $450 per acre foot that he follows for demand reduction on the emergency drought side. So that's one pillar. The second pillar um, is particularly important from a public policy standpoint. We do not want these basins to go back into immediate cycles of overdraft. So they are going to be incentivized to transition away from that high overdrafted amount of water they're using, bringing it down. So let's say if they're shifting from wheat and corn, they can simply grow wheat or tomatoes for let's say an acre and a half foot per acre in the future, staying within their sustainable yield allocation that the Groundwater Sustainability Agency has given them. And so the transition payment is paid per acre and it ranges between $250 per acre to $2,800 per acre, depending on the nature of the transition. So for trees, tree crops, vines, it's a very intensive transition. The trees have to be pulled out. They have to be mulched. The ground has to be prepared. There's a lot of um, additional things there. For dairy farms, on the transition side, we have to upcycle our products. We have to go out and buy almond holes, citrus pulp and peel, uh, bakery waste, which is very popular in the northern part of the state. That all costs money. And so for that year, one time, that farmer will be paid a per acre transition rate. And then the third component of Landflex is what we call the sustainable yield payment. And the sustainable yield payment is a a payment towards the transition of that basin. So the farmer basically sells his transition credit or credits to DWR for the bargain price of $750 per acre foot. Now, some people have more transition credits because they've either come into compliance early with Sigma or have attempted to accelerate their glide path down to zero acre feet of overdraft pumping. 
So they may have more transition credits because maybe their GSA or their irrigation district bought water and sunk it. We're trying not to punish those folks. We want to make sure I mean, the whole vision of Sigma is a more equitable allocation of groundwater. So if they have more transition credits to sell that they're willing to, great, but they don't have to sell them all on that acre. Um, but we do want to make sure that their permanent bank accounts are drawn down forever. So they're never going to get that acre foot that they sell to the state back. They're always going to accelerate their transition to Sigma faster. Right. Until the basin reaches a healthy aquifer level or starts right. exceeding that 2015 level, which is what the, you got to remember, Sigma is saying, get your aquifer back to a 2015 uh, depth of water. Yep. If a basin is managed appropriately, if something like this accelerates the ability to get you to that point, the idea being a reappropriation of the groundwater pumping credits. So you may be stuck at a 0.6 acre foot per acre right now, but if you can get your aquifer healthy, totally. the idea being that your GSA can come in, reappropriate that water, you may be up to 1.5 or whatever it may yep. be. So yes, you, you are eliminating the overdraft transition early. You voluntarily will sell that credit in the hopes that, and immediately, let me rephrase this, you voluntarily are eliminating that credit and you are immediately within Sigma compliance. Correct. At that point, you're operating in a post-2040 world. The idea being that that GSA can get that aquifer nice and healthy through, you know, heaven help us, it's raining right now. We've got a good snowpack. We get that water moving again. We can get some groundwater recharge in a flood situation. We can accelerate the conservation of leaving the water in the ground. And then that aquifer becomes a more healthy aquifer and you get your pumping reappropriated. It's a new way of thinking. And I think for the farmer, it's a new tool to be thinking long-term and cyclical about the rotation on their farm of the water credits that they have. And uh, I know the farmers that we ran this cycle through, and we looked at folks in different aquifers, we looked at folks in different cropping patterns, and, and it all became a tool that they instantly, I think, how many times we talked to a farmer and instantly they went, I can rework the next 12 years and yeah. I can see keep myself whole in this yeah. process. So I think some key things, yeah, I think some key things to keep in mind here. One is that it's voluntary and it's temporary. I think those have been two big words that we've talked about in the sense of it's a one-year contract. It's, it's a uh, right now, correct? Correct. Right. So it's a one-year contract for two out of the three. Yes. But if you hit the third period, so we look, we should really make sure that our audience, because I think this is going to be pretty wide beyond just agriculture and um, the first two pieces, the following on the ET side and the transition piece are essentially a one-year contract. Right. But when you sign up to sell DWR, your transition credit or credits, that's a, retirement. Is, yes. that's a retirement of that credit forever. And so for some farmers and growers, this may not be the right decision because again, we're sensitive to the fact that this is their bank account. This is far more important. These, these transition credits over time for a lot of people than others this is their ability to have a family farm in the future. And that shouldn't be lost on this discussion. This is why we want to make sure this is voluntary for as many people that it can work for, that they can make this decision ahead of schedule. We think it's going to hit quite a few of the middle grounders. And that's what we're to Aubrey's point will really help basin wide compliance with Sigma advance early. But there are going to be some folks who 
are really, really strapped and they're farming by the skin of their teeth. And I, unfortunately, we just couldn't design a program that helped everybody mm-hmm. at this time. So let's get into the, the structure here. So the, there are qualified, let me rephrase, eligible GSAs that will apply, correct? Correct. All right. So an GSA eligibility hinges on their ability to not have only adopted a groundwater allocation methodology, but have implemented it. So there have been quite a few GSAs that um, have been a little bit ahead of the curve. They decided they wanted to control the size and style of the knife. So they adopted early implementation of a glide path to zero, essentially. This is how much the farmers are allowed to pump over the sustainable yield down towards the sustainable yield. Every single basin is really different. Some of them, you know, can pump a little bit more. Some of them can pump a little bit less. Really depends on how much they were over dependent on groundwater in the first place. And so um, GSAs for this, especially as this initial tranche of money, um, those that can qualify will have already adopted and implemented a groundwater um, pumping methodology. So yeah, really important to point out that not all GSAs will qualify. This is supposed to incentivize those that are um, a little bit slower to do some of this early adoption to get there. We want their farmers to be excited about it. Yeah, this is a new tool that some of those GSAs just couldn't, they couldn't figure into, right? So our hope is I think that those GSAs would uh, would have that opportunity now that they can see this piece playing in. So, so to be clear, overly simplified, an eligible GSA is a GSA that has an established sustainable yield with an, a quantified overdraft credit appropriated to all of its growers within its GSA. Correct. And DWR is set to release that specific set of criteria in the next few days or weeks. Um, so to be clear, they may DWR may tweak that just a hair, but the general concept behind Lead and Flex is to make sure that that's where we start. Right. So we're looking specifically in our critically overdrafted basins. Hopefully one day this will scale out to our modified, you know, our moderate basins. We, we really do want to see this, I think, scale. It's designed to do that. Um, so the GSAs will apply for a block grant from the state, correct? The eligible GSAs. Correct. So first, the eligibility criteria will be released. Um, I believe it's in January. And then the those GSAs that are eligible will then apply for this funding. Yes. So the the GSA, uh, the GSA, I think there is also one other criteria for a GSA, which is they have to be using some sort of evapotranspiration uh, or uh, measurement tool. Correct. Correct. So the two tools that most people use are either Open ET or Land IQ. Now there is one other that DWR said they were open to considering. So I guess it would be um, technology that is similar, but those are the two commonly associated ones. Right. Again, coming back to we're paying per acre foot. So you have to have technology to verify the acre foot demand on the property. Okay. So GSA eligible applies, gets a block grant then the farmer in that, so that means everyone in there is, that program is now available to them within that GSA, correct? Correct. All right, so then the farmer, which there will be applicant uh, trainings, I believe for the GSAs, as well as broader outreach, 
January 19th. In January, that's right, that we've been planning. So January 19th, applicant uh, uh, trainings. They will then be able to apply online through a virtual portal, utilizing their existing documentation in a lot of ways. Uh, that and these portals will dovetail and have all of the resources for the accepted GSAs available to the farmer. So when the farmer logs in, they'll be able to find their GSA, their specific evapotranspiration rates for their for their GSA, links to the Sigma Viewer, which is a DWR tool, which will help them identify their proximity to domestic wells and rural water systems, which is their scoring criteria once their application is turned in. So the farmer selects their property. It's 40 acres or up to 25% of, their, their, entity. of yep. their entity. Uh, there is a there is an adjusted gross income uh, criteria of $2.5 million per entity that applies using the same criteria that we would use for USDA in terms of calculating that. We tried over, to keep this over a three-year average. So correct. the, the three-year average. Yeah, you can't exceed 2.5 over three years. Um, in order to qualify. So if you do, right. then you won't be eligible for this program. Right. Again, trying to keep this as familiar to existing programs out there. You'll use your 578 form from FSA, which is your acreage reporting form. So if you are not out there doing your acreage reporting, you need to get out there and do your acreage reporting. That coordinates with the property that you wish to enroll. The farmer will populate this form, drop in all of this information, pull in the criteria of referencing the Sigma viewer. There'll be trainings for all of this. And then that gets submitted to the GSA for scoring. The, now, let's, can we talk a little bit about the scoring criteria? Are we, are we able to I think to it's important. Um, yeah. the, I think going back to what we opened up with, which was the public policy nexus. That's yeah, right. the public policy nexus has to be on uh, preserving domestic drinking water wells. Well, and that was the underlying foundation of Sigma. So, I mean, truly, this is a Sigma compliance tool plus a drought mitigation tool. So let's get into the scoring criteria. Scoring criteria is based, overly simplified, based on the enrolled property's proximity to domestic well or, or rural water systems. Correct? Yep. So those who are closest to those types of infrastructure are scored higher. Yep. So what's that? So closer it's, and closer to the number of connections. So if you okay. do, um, if you do fall into some of these special categories of um, public supply wells or um, clusters of wells, and I, you know, there's actually some links to the existing Landflex page, which is water.ca.gov forward slash Landflex to the State Water Resources Control Board definitions of some of these public supply well clusters. Um, but to your point, the closer you are to these domestic wells, whether it's clusters or one or two or five, the higher you will be scored as a farmer. Now, are we first come first serve at that point? That's the way I understand it, that they will be done in batches. Um, mm -hmm. And so a couple of things to additionally point out on the initial allocation of the 25 million um, it will be limited to two or three GSAs that have some of some achievements in these areas, meaning they have already implemented a groundwater accounting methodology far in advance of some others. Because I think the idea is to demonstrate year over year results in these spaces. And so DWR was a little hesitant to 
initially start off just as a statewide program. And so we wanted to really narrow it down to something that we can show results on in the next few months and then show that there's a demand for this. Mm -hmm. Um, Aubrey and I know there's a demand for this because we talk to farmers every day, but uh, in their defense, DWR has never done anything like this before. So they're really, they're really beta testing it. Well, the nice thing is, is it's not a pilot. Um, So I think we've, we've proven concept quite well and we can't thank our partners, especially the GSAs, the Sigma team, um, some of our rural communities. I mean, it's just been exceptional. I think what really bringing those different pieces together and said, wow, this was the missing piece in this process that we're going through from a water management perspective and really have to commend the leadership at DWR for their courage to go down this rabbit hole um, of a year of tooling this. I mean, really getting into, there were a lot of whiteboards, folks, a lot of whiteboards involved, (laughs) but have to commend the leadership at DWR, uh, Director Namath and her whole team and the Sigma team. Um, Truly the collaboration um, and and the level of detail um, in a positive way. And this has been a positive experience. This has been a, a, a positive, we really have to try something new. Um, am I missing anything else? Let's, can we go over the timeline? Yeah, we should go over the timeline. And I think that for audience purposes, we really want to encourage comments to the DBR. So the comment period is open. It opened on Friday. Um, again, that link water.ca.gov forward slash landflex. You can essentially email your comments in. If you are a GSA listening to this message or work on a board of GSAs or work with GSAs, we really encourage your feedback because, um, you know, we tried to execute what we thought would work. There's a lot of partners that have been involved that have also been providing extensive feedback on what would work, but you never know where the next good idea is going to come from. And if there are some immediate tweaks that we think we need to make for this program, be loud and heard. We should, we should definitely entertain that. I know DWR really wants to hear from people associated with the GSAs or the GSAs themselves about, you know, because they're they're literally putting the dots and the crossing the T's on the criteria selection for the GSAs. And so right now it's very narrow, mm-hmm. um, but perhaps there are some good reasons to open that up a little bit wider. Um, yeah. I know that there's a lot of money that's been set aside for this. They're just introducing it slowly in tranches and obviously going into uh, we came from a, a massive surplus this year at the state level and we're we're being cautious about 2023, I think the state is. And so uh, there's there's a little bit of let's prove the concept conversation. And so the more feedback that we get, the comment period will close on December 29th, which is about the fastest um, comment period. Um, and it is Christmas time. So we know these are not like the ideal times, but um, we were successful in, in chatting with our partners at DBR that they've already missed at least like one water season, we don't want to miss another one. And um, I think that right now, irrespective of how much it rains, um, the the aquifers in the valley are so depleted that we need like historic rain every day for the next, you know, three years to kind of make up for that. So at the moment, I've had a lot of farmers go, oh my God, it's raining again. Is Landflex still going to be the same? And the plan is, yes, it's still going to be the same. And this was Aubrey's idea to make sure that the program would scale up or scale down. Even a year that we have good hydrology, 
we wanted to be able to, at a lower rate, incentivize people to sink water in those cases, which is brilliant. Sorry, I interrupted you. No, I, I'll I'll let you keep going on a compliment. That works. <laughs> no, I I I think what's critical is the. The, the program, we often talk that even in a wet year, this program actually becomes more valuable. And and the, the importance is we all know as a farmer on the ground and as a GSA that you have to have a tool like this in place because the question has always been not what, what happens because it's dry. That's immediate triage. That's the immediate stop pumping, right? Yeah. Protect right. domestic wells. That's yeah. what you do in a drought. How you recover from a drought, what happens when it rains, that's the most important policy question that has to be asked. And that's why a tool like this becomes a valuable tool to the state as well as to the regional water managers of how to think about addressing hydrology through different years over time. So, so the what happens when it rains question to me is always one that, that I wake up every morning. You, you always tell me about you know, what keeps you up at night. I tell you, I wake up every morning going, what happens when it rains? And I have, it, we, we are always, as advocates, constantly looking for that regulatory certainty. And that what happens when it rains question to me is the scariest question because I don't have that certainty. These types of programs and tools help us get to that place as water managers and as, and as land managers as well and community managers. I mean, we're all in this together in that, in that mindset and in that working together. So, so as we scale into uh, what what we have right now is an open comment period. We really want GSAs to respond to this. Look at this with a fine tooth comb and tell us if this works for you. Tell us if, you know, I would really want to hear from GSAs who look at this and say, okay, I've got to get my GSA to this point so I can use this tool. That type of feedback is critical to DWR understanding the scale they need to make this program. To Anya's point, the program right now is being released in a small tranche. It's a permanent program, but it's being released in a small tranche for proof of concept. We want to see it scale. It's designed to scale. So other critical basins, I encourage you to give feedback about, you know, and be thinking about how to start implementing a program like this. And if it's a program that works for you, you need to be asking for it and what scale you would need it at. And your moderate overdrafted basins, you guys that don't need to be in compliance for another 10 years, Think about how this plays into the, your water management portfolio and the idea of the tools that you need on the ground for that, getting your aquifer to a healthier level in a, in a quicker time. I know I talked to some folks way up north. They're in a moderate overdrafted basin. They actually envisioned a program like this, but they didn't have anything to grab onto. And yeah. so they may not be in the first round. They may not be in the second round, but the program could scale to that. We need that feedback, I think, into DWR particularly. Um, well, and then and just to Go ahead. I think just to kind of um, close this out for the future, in addition to the comment period, um, you know, so that January 19th date deadline in 2023 is, is a particularly important one because, you know, opening up a workshop for GSAs or for like the technical service providers that, so Western United Dairy Foundation, along with um, the Almond Alliance are both going to be technical service providers along with self-help enterprises and the California Alliance of Family Farmers, CAF. But I think that um, the training is important, but thinking about any technology next year or in the future that essentially reduces dependence on high demand from the aquifer. So whether that's, you know, shifting to some new drip technology or shifting crops or up north, they're not as dependent on groundwater 
thinking about expanding Landflex into conservation areas, um, whether that's using reclaimed or recycled water, um, I think is really going to be important for the successful transition of California agriculture away from as many water intensive uses. And, you know, you talk to the average farmer, they're all for it. They want to know, you know, what tools they might have available in the next 10 years because they're looking to save money and not have to incur such high uncertainty on the waterfront. And this year, excuse me, the last two years in this drought cycle have really shown that our North Coast farms are just as vulnerable to climate change um, and just the drying and heating climate like the valley has been under pressure for so long. So thinking about comments from that perspective, um, but we're really excited about the ability to dial up or dial down any one of these three pillars. Right. I, I think um, I'm excited that it's a new tool in the toolkit. It's a tool that that focuses on the water and really allows us all to lean into that solution in a new way. Um, GSAs, farms, communities, it really grabbed the intent of a healthy aquifer and a healthy watershed management, which we need. And I mean, it's just, it's, we all hear the chatter about regulatory and we're all trying to hit those marks but at the end of the day, we all know what we're after is tools that can get us there. And that's really the concept of this flexibility, the idea of ratcheting up, ratcheting down um, and having new tools in the toolkit to do that. Um, I, I think what's important for folks listening is if you are a member of Western, if you are a member of the Almond Alliance, you'll be receiving updates and schedules constantly. You'll be hearing from us um, about where we're at in this process, how to be involved, uh, where the information is right now. Please visit ca or excuse me water.ca.gov slash landflex and a really important thing is farmers listening go pull that landflex fact sheet because it has the breakdown of what we just talked about so you can start thinking through land management we wanted that in your hands before the comment period ended because we know what it means to be crop planning and land planning um and uh and so we're really uh wanted that information so you can start thinking that through and i think anya you opened this up with such a, a great Foundation, this is about an immediate drought response to support our rural communities and our underrepresented communities who are at threat of, of well collapse. We see them reported every day uh, and, and rural water systems. Um, but also this is a, a, a really great tool for our farmers to envision uh, and our family farms to envision a path forward. Um, we had one farmer who looked at this and said, I can make payroll if I have this program. And that supports our overall communities. That supports our overall economy. Um, and and uh, and that's that's truly what water provides. And so we're really excited about this opportunity and so thankful for DWR's willingness to go with us down the rabbit hole in this vision and try something new. Um, I think you said it great in your tweet the other day, just new challenges require new solutions. And, uh, and we have to start really making this about the water. And I'm really excited about that opportunity. So thank you. Well, when they decided to commoditize groundwater, um, I, they really blew Sigma's implementation out of the water. So it's just a fact when you have a short supply of something, its value goes up astronomically. And mm -hmm. then when you have an added drought, you have so many and then inflationary impacts associated with the pandemic and Ukraine. And um, this has been the perfect storm. And so hopefully this is a solution to keep our rural economies you know, yes. sunk in, intact because the, the hidden impact of drought 
um, other than just high prices of uh, food in the store is, is really on the, the rural communities that support, they're the legs we stand on. And so we have to be very sensitive to that. And I think that that is often lost if you're not watching Telemundo or Univision you don't know that the hidden impact of drought is really about the families that help us manage these farms and work with us every day. It's a slow, you can't, in a drought, I always tell people you can't, you don't know where to point a camera. It's not like a hurricane or a no. tornado where you people can just- People always want to talk about flood being the most big, you know, the biggest threat to California. And I'm, I'm, I, they just don't see what we see every day in the valley. Yeah, or on the farm. Anywhere, any rural community, you know, north, south. Um, you and I have worked. We're very blessed to have a community that we serve that's that's very diverse and very spread out in this incredibly beautiful and wondrous place. And uh, I I fail. Uh, I I refuse to accept that we can't solve these problems. I refuse to accept that our California farmers can't figure this out better than anybody else, if given the tools to do so. So that's and what we're, we're going to continue. I think that, you know, the next version of Landflex 2.0 um, will probably be different, but I think that um, anything that's old and binary is not for our organizations. It's not for the up and coming generational farmer. They're ready to sharpen their, their pencil every single day and get to work. And yeah. I respect folks that are tired of having to change and that every new challenge we have in California um, just based on, you know, where we want to sit with California excellence and our supremacy in climate space has to come from a place of something different. So well, in we're in. <laughs> yeah, we're in. I mean, it's just, we serve the most sophisticated and, and progressive farmers in the world who provide the safest, most climate smart agriculture in the world. Um, and the world wants it from us. And so it behooves of us to continue to support those things. And more importantly, that we drive the policy solutions, not have them enforced upon us. I think that's really been the biggest, from your and my perspective as advocates, what has been so powerful about Landflex is it was our industry grabbing an issue and saying, how would we solve the problem? And then taking that and translating that into the policy space and working that relationship. And like you said, multi-prong, multi-solution uh, oriented, that is the way of the future for us as policymakers too, I think is, is key. And that's what we encourage in our partnerships across the board. So thank you again, Anya, for bringing your unique expertise to the table. I've learned a lot besides your drag with my rear end back to California. Um, but it has been uh, a pleasure doing battle with you and I would do it with you every day. So thank you so much. And um, yeah. And thanks yeah. to everyone again, DWR. If you guys have questions, um, I can be reached at Anya, A-N-J-A, at W-U-Dairies, plural.com. Aubrey? I'm Aubrey, A-U-B as in Bravo, R-E-Y, at almondalliance.org. And for more information, please sign up, be members of our organizations. We will be providing those updates. Comment period closes December 29th. And if you have any further questions, please reach out to us. Thank you again to our partners. Thank you to Anya. Thank you to CAF and self-help, as well as Department of Water Resources for this time and process. More information to come on Landflex. Thank you all for listening. We'll catch you on the other side. Yosemite Farm Credit is the farmer's choice for agriculture financing. As a farmer-owned cooperative, we are dedicated to serving our neighbors in the agriculture community with financial products and services tailored to your operation and backed with the relationship you can trust. 
Whether you're purchasing real estate, making improvements to the dairy, or wanting to purchase or lease equipment, we're here to help our members prosper. Visit our website at yosemitefarmcredit.com to find a branch location nearest you. Did you know that you can turn your dairy manure into cash? Bennett Environmental is offering above-ground dairy digesters at no cost to you. These systems can also remove nitrates from your lagoons to help you comply with water board regulations. Our proven above-ground technology will generate income for your dairy into the foreseeable future. Because we truck the renewable natural gas off-site, your dairy can profit regardless of your location. Bennett Environmental, turning your wastewater liabilities into sustainable assets. Learn more at bennett-environmental.com. Thank you to Aubrey and Anya for their hard work and for coming on to the podcast to talk about Landflex. We will not be posting a new episode of Seen and Heard until after the new year, so everyone have a safe and happy holiday. Thank you to the Western United Dairy's generous business sponsors, the Morning Star Company, Holt of California, Farm Credit Alliance, PG&E, Arata, Swingle, Van Egmond and Goodwin Law Offices, Yosemite Farm Credit, F&R Ag Services, Moss Energy Works, California Dairy Magazine, Bennett Environmental, and Common Good Water. We appreciate our sponsors and thank them for their continued support. 